Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Beekeeper Confidential. Today I visit the apiary of a really wonderful beekeeper named Ken Matley. He is actually one of my favorite beekeepers in the entire world. Sorry, Ken, if you didn't already know that. Anyways, anytime I have an issue with my bees or want to tell somebody about something that happened with my bees, Ken is one of my go-to persons for that. And when I invited myself over to do this episode with him, he graciously accepted my intrusion, and we really had a wonderful time. His German shepherd, Agatha, watched over us in the apiary as we did our work, and I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. This is really one of my favorite recordings. And with that, let's get started. If I can do a uh, night check on these guys too. Yeah. They were treated in March, so they should be in pretty good shape. But let's figure it might be a good time. Might as well. So I guess first thing I'll do ring the doorbell. So this is your ten frame Langstroth. Uh, eight frame. Eight frame. Eight frame, and it's it was a nuke that I got from Robert uh, Lee. Right. So they are Glen Carnelians with a uh, proven hygienic queen. So this was this was a, a very late nuke. He had a hard time getting them started this year. Wasn't so, there poor mating flight weather? Yeah. So this was uh, was May before I got it. But they've got some some work up in this upper box. The last time I saw, they were doing really nothing to speak of in it. Mm. Uh, I think, though, these were half and half existing comb. So they continue to be existing empty comb. What's your preferred type of Langstroth frame? Foundationless. uh, But I have the best luck with foundation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wired... I like to do some wired uh, if I'm gonna if I'm thinking about extracting, uh-huh. but I mostly uh, keep it unwired because I, I like cut comb and I like cut and strain better than extracting. Oh, I think mm-hmm. I got a better quality of honey last year doing that. Is the Langstroth a new hive in your backyard for you? Or have you always kept Warre and Langstroth? No, I I was gonna give up on the Warres. Oh. And so I got a Lang and uh, got a Nukin that last year. And, of course, uh, as soon as I got the Nuke installed, then I got a swarm and had nowhere else to put it. So I set up <laughs> one of the Warres. And that's, that's the one that's five boxes high over here. Wow. And that one's been split. And it's also had a big swarm this year. So they were just kind of all bunching up in the corner there, so I thought oh. I'd better check and make sure the queen wasn't in yeah. there. Yeah. But I don't see her. 
I've never seen her, actually. I don't know if she's marked or not. I'm not good at finding queens, and so I'm usually pretty satisfied if I can find evidence. Mm -hmm. Finding the queen can be a little bit tricky, especially when your frames are covered in bees. Your best bet for determining if your hive is queen right is finding eggs or very young larvae. Oh, yeah. there's some honey. It is nearly capped. All nectar. All right, they're well on their way. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is this is their uh, winter stores for sure in this box. But still, we should have gone directly down into the deep. Like. <laughs> oh, uh oh, uh oh. What? Your frame came apart oh, there. Oh, crappers. <laughs> crappers is my new favorite bad word. Well, they'll have a little bit of honey to clean up from that. Yeah. No. <clears throat> They'll have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> do you usually do nails? I usually, I always do nails. Do you do nails and glue? Yes. I'm a glue and staple kind of girl, but I have had some frames come apart like that. So maybe it's time to think about nailing. Are you putting uh, a horizontal one in? Screw no, nail in? No. That is the most important nail in the whole thing. This is this is the one that seems to be missing on this one. <laughs> oh, there they are. <laughs> yeah. I put them in this way. Well, this had to be a frame or frames from my old soul nuke from last year. Oh, okay. Old Soul Apiaries is located in Rogue River, Oregon, and they are one of the main suppliers of nucleus colonies to Oregonian beekeepers. There's a lot of brace comb there to pull apart. And are you uh, one to scrape off all of that every time you get into the hive, or do you just sort of put things back together? I usually put things back together. Uh, yeah. And I try to do some, because it does make it easier the next time, so it's easier on me and on the bees. Mm -hmm. and this is my brood monitor, uh, temperature humidity monitor. And does uh, that transmit the information to your phone? Is there an app that goes to my, along to with my it? Phone. There's, a, there's an app that goes with it, and it's Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Okay. Yeah, all right. How many years have you been using a broodminder? Three or four. Mm -hmm. You have one in all of your hives or just a couple of them? I, I have the temperature humidity in all of them, and then two of them have scales. On okay. Them. To learn more about the broodminder device, visit their website at broodminder.com. Okay, so we have honey and nectar. Lots of nectar and on this side. Lots of nectar on this side, so I am already getting a little worried here. So this hive had some supersedure cells in it a couple of weeks ago, and today we're checking to see if there is evidence of a queen. So we're looking down in the brood chamber, and we're on frame three of eight, and so far it's been all nectar. Now, actually, now we're getting into the original brood nest, okay. I think. Honey and nectar, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, pollen. Well, hmm. we may be queenless, huh? So maybe the supersedure cells I saw were actually emergency cells. Mm -hmm. And but we can't. So far, haven't even seen evidence of them. Yeah. Did they generally take down cells once they've hatched, or if something has happened with the larvae that? I think they do, but but uh, you generally can see the remnants. Like a little bit uh, of it left. Lots of nice pollen in this one. So since there's basically no brood, <laughs> would you still do a mite check? No. 
Ken has since been able to order a new queen for this hive, and they gladly accepted her. They are now well on their way to getting prepared for winter. Ken keeps several waray hives. He's been doing it for years. Now this was my first year using a waray hive, so I had lots of questions. They're such attractive little guys. You really are. And, you know, oh, they need less care. And, oh, they don't need less care. They just make it impossible to give more care. <laughs> yeah. So this guy is the two bottom boxes are the original one. I think this hive is as tall as me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tall. Of course, Ware says you should not have your hive more than four to six inches off the ground because the bees could get lost and not find their way home if they fell off the landing board. <laughs> and that is kind of, you know... Oh, Hives in the wild, they prefer 15 to 20 feet off the ground, not inches. Yeah, those poor bees, they must get lost all the time. They must. Being so high up. I always feel it like pulling back the, the canvas on, on the waray box is sort of like mm. peeling off a scab. It kind of is, yeah. And you never know how much damage you're going to cause. Or... Yeah. But I want just to be able to get one frame out here. How often do you, you replace the canvas, or do you ever? Usually when it gets really gunky, so after, usually after a year or so. And then what do, you, what do you like to do with the old cloth? You're probably standing on one. Yeah, you are. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love to keep trinkets from the hive, and so for me, throwing that piece of propolis-coated canvas on the ground just makes me want to cry. But I kept it together. So as Ken went to pull this frame out of the hive, one of the nails came out just like it had on the Langstroth. And I swear, this only happened because I was standing there recording the whole thing. Oh, well, that worked out well. <laughs> so it's not the best day for lifting frames. It, it apparently is not. <laughs> uh, and these are ones that I nailed myself, so... It kind of shows but how tightly the propolis glues it in there. Also, these frames I bought, and they're too deep for this bot. So we oh. had to shave them down and make them skinnier, which, of course, makes them more fragile. So this isn't really typical of a Wari box to have the frames that have the, the end bars on them. No. Is this a new innovation? It's not or? a new... Actually, Wari's original hives had frames, but he decided it was better to have no frames than to have frames. What was the reasoning behind the, his his change? Well, one is he says that uh, his his frameless uh, hives, the combs are more movable than in a frame hive. Uh, I really have been liking the frames, as opposed to just the top bars. Yeah. But people that make their own warre hives have a much deeper notch. Oh my goodness. As Ken lifted this frame out of the hive, the face of the honeycomb got ripped off and gorgeous gooey honey went spilling everywhere. Early, early spring honey. Mm. So it might be oh. a lot of maple. That's nice. That's really good. 
Mm. So this this box is getting harvested in uh, in a week or so. Oh. Next box one is just like half built out. Oh, okay. Oh, look at them. So they you were... have some traditional bars in there without the end yes. bars on them. They weren't building it at all until I moved the frame up from the, the, oh. next, the next box down. But with the deeper rabbit in the box, though, then you're able to have a much thicker top bar uh-huh. and much stronger. The, the rabbit being the little little the, notch the that notch. the frames yeah. sit into. Okay. So when so. Waré set out to invent this hive, what had he been working with previously? Like what led him to this? He kind of tried all the, uh, and I can't remember all the names of them, but there's been a number of, uh, uh, during the 19th century, a number of hives. He did not try a Langstraw. He had skeps, mm-hmm. and, and he gives instructions for how you can smoke and kill all the bees so you can uh, harvest your honey. And then he also has alternate, but... No, he says the way he was brought up was every year you killed the bees, harvested the honey, and next year started over. And back then there weren't breeders, or were there? Would they just catch swarms? Um, catch swarms, or you wouldn't you wouldn't kill all your hives, and you catch swarms from them. Um, he talks about doing a split. You drum on the skepa until all the bees come out, put them in another hive. Have you ever tried that? No. I've heard about drumming them out. Or drumming know. them to... I could drum them out. I could. It makes sense drumming them out of the hive. But people that sit and drum under a swarm to bring them down, um, bees don't hear. They don't have a sense of hearing. Do you think it's so vibrations? They, yeah, but vibrations in the air. I mean, how much, how much of that do they feel? They certainly feel it when you're pounding on their, yeah. their home. And the queen knows to go as well. Like if, if if the majority of them start leaving or making their way out, the, queen, the queen just knows to do well. that too. Yeah. Oh. But his complaint was people were not keeping bees enough because it was too much work. And there was, uh, early in the 20th century, there was a sugar embargo going on in France. And so sugar was very hard to get and very, uh, very... Uh, expensive. So he's saying, I'm going to design a hive that anybody can put together. It doesn't take any special carpentry skills. I'm going to design a hive that only needs to be uh, visited twice a year and that produces a maximum amount of honey in that time. And he really, everything he has done in his method is aimed towards more honey. Hmm. Um, and one of the reasons why he doesn't like to disturb a hive is that every time you disturb a hive, the bees start eating some of the honey. And so you're going to have less harvest. Or in our case, the beekeepers will eat some of the honey. Yes, in our case. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the bees are eating some now, yeah, too. But, yeah. Uh, well, that's very interesting. I had always thought that he made this design to have it be hands-off, to make it more like what they would experience in nature as wild hives. Now he was thinking about a while uh, tree trunk but his when, true he came, agenda when he was... came up with the, uh, <laughs> the dimensions. But his true agenda was first. He says beekeeping is good for people to do because it keeps them out of the cafes. <laughs> okay. Then he says you only need to visit your hives twice a year. 
plenty, How is that plenty keeping of time me out to of go the to cafe? the cafes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can go out to oh the cafes God. 362 days a year, 363 days a year, and still keep bees and harvest the maximum amount of honey. Wow. So just a lot of his stuff, I don't think it... Um, it stands up to a real examination of facts and of logic. But, I mean, they are cute little hives. This guy, I mean, overwintered beautifully. My last um, colony overwintered beautifully, so beautifully that it swarmed itself out. It swarmed like four times wow. and didn't make a queen. Oh. And, and I lost it for that reason. I have to admit, I can never look at my waray hive the same after this conversation with Ken. If you want to learn more about the weird reasons why Waray designed this hive, you can read his book. It's called Beekeeping for All. Which is the hive that threw the swarms that came back? This one. This one. Oh. It threw, threw a swarm over into, you can even see, my, my neighbor built this trellis. Just, That's beautiful. Is it trumpet vine? Uh, no, it's or, uh, wisteria. Oh, okay. But they flew right into, you can see that gap there. In the wisteria, they flew and hung right there. I went over, got them all in a box, set the box to catch the stragglers. Next time I came out of the house, they were all back in the hive. Forget how many days later, but a few days later, um, I came out and they were sounding like they were swarming. And yep, there they go, say exact same spot. I said, okay, this time I'm gonna wait. So twenty minutes later, all back in the hive. Wow. And that time, uh, a number of them just stayed under the hive for several days, and then they ended up going back in. Do you think they left without the queen? Yeah, on those I think times? they must have. But the third time, um, I wasn't home because I, uh, you know, of course. <laughs> They're like, Ken's not here. Let's go. And so um, I came home, and, and first thing I do is I always come out and check, especially in swarm season. And sure enough, they're hanging on the exact same spot again. And so this time, I watched them for a little bit and uh, did not see any traffic back and forth. Mm -hmm. So I got a box and boxed them up and took them out to Bosky Dell. Ken keeps some of his hives at a native plant nursery called Bosky Dell, located in Westland, Oregon. And that, get them out of here. <laughs> yeah, and that swarm has, that's that's the swarm that started uh, almost completely fresh in a, in a top bar hive. It's oh, a top bar hive nice. that, that I never got populated last year, so a lot of the comb wasn't worth saving. And so they had only a few combs in a top bar hive, and they are now 23 combs, and uh, so four spaces left in the hive. Oh my gosh. And they just <laughs> ballooned. <laughs> um, and I'm lying, that's not, that's not the swarm. <laughs> the swarm from my ware is, is in a lang, and it's actually going a little bit slowly oh. compared to the other two hives. Yeah. The one, <clears throat> the one in the top bar hive was from the bee tree that that I got that swarm over there too, and I got my very first swarm I caught was from that bee. Where bee is tree. the bee tree? Is it close to your house? Uh, no, it's a little ways away, and you know, if you can stand on the sidewalk and look up at it. Oh, gosh. There it is. Are the you guy, friends with the homeowners? The guy across the street called the Swarm Line the first time, oh. and I came out. And, you know, he's very interesting to talk with. 
He's very interested in the whole process and just asks a lot of good questions. I love that. And a lot of questions that I have to go research and then get back to him on. Wow. And so this year, he called me on two swans, three actually, and then, then the other one he called right back and says, I'll have left. <laughs> um, so I got two swarms out of there. He has a bait box in his backyard that at one point he thought they were going to move in because there was a whole yeah. lot, but then they didn't. Um, so I bought him a copy of uh, uh, Honeybee Democracy. Yeah. And so I gave it to him. He says, oh, Tom. Yeah, I know Tom. What? <laughs> so he he was at Cornell at the same time as Tom. He was undergraduate. Well, Tom was, uh, Tom Seeley yeah. was uh, uh, a graduate student. And he uh, visited him out on the, they, ha- they have hives out on an island. And uh, Tom was working at the island and, um, this guy had been studying fisheries, and so he was out at the, out the island uh, fisheries lab <laughs> and and met Tom Seeley. After recording this episode with Ken, Tom Seeley actually came to Portland for a seminar for Portland Urban Beekeepers. I was lucky enough to have Tom come over and visit my apiary for a couple of hours, and I recorded our conversation, so that will be an upcoming episode. To see pictures of Ken's apiary and notes from today's episode, check out my blog at waggleworkspdx.com. If you're interested in ware keeping or keeping other really high-quality handmade beehives, visit beebuilt.com. I'm an authorized beebuilt educational affiliate, which means I have an exclusive coupon code that you can use to save 15% off your purchase of $50 or more. Visit BeBuilt.com and use coupon code WAGGLEWORKSPDX. And now it's time to take a moment and thank everybody for helping me to make this podcast possible. I couldn't do it without you. This is truly a labor of love and curiosity. So thank you for your continued interest and support. I couldn't do it without you.